0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast where somebody's got to say it. My name is Patrick Hayes, your regular host, and with me today is David Gibbs III, the president of the National Center for Life and Liberty. Uh, Attorney Gibbs, how are you doing today, sir?
1: I am doing outstanding, Patrick, and I am alive. I am well. I am feeling good, and I am talking to you. So I think it's a, a good day. And uh, I'll let you on know, a little personal note. I uh, have just recently, in the last week, uh, become a grandfather. My daughter had uh, her first child. And so I have entered that fraternity and uh, Lord bless with a healthy and uh, um, a good little girl. So we're happy about all that.
0: Well, praise God. That's awesome news. Mazel tov. Well, we appreciate you taking the time out of your day to join us here on Bible Thumper. And I need to start off with what I think is the most important question of the interview. Um, so get ready for a big one. Do we need a drum roll? Right out is of the, this gate? the moment
1: where we got to like, okay, here it comes. I'm I, ready.
0: I have sound effects, but I don't have a drum roll. I have the intro uh, to the prices right. I don't know. If well, that,
1: that would give us something. Well, I mean, is there money in this? Let's I, hit I it. thought I was, this was like a freebie, a but it's like if I got a shot to win cash, I'm happy.
0: I'm in. Okay, so I'm going to start off by asking you a qualifying question. So you are a graduate of Duke Law School, class of 93. Is that
1: correct? That is absolutely correct. I was at Duke for two national championships, and so yes, sir.
0: Okay, so you jumped right ahead of me. Okay, for those that might not know, Coach Mike Zuzhevsky took the Duke Blue Devils to the NCAA championship and won back-to-back titles In 1991 and 1992, question number one, did you get to see any of those games live? And question number two, do you know Grant Hill and, to a much lesser extent, Christian Laettner?
1: I will answer this a couple of ways. First of all, (laughs) you got to understand that there is, like, a fanaticism in those games. And, like, students can't just buy tickets. No kidding. You actually have to camp out, and they have a whole rigmarole where, I mean, like weeks, you camp out, you can leave for a class, but you have to check in every hour, 24 hours a day, be there all night, people set up tents, wow. And you do all of that, but get ready for this. Doing that for weeks, you then are in a lottery where you might get tickets. So it's, it's quite a bit to get into a game. I did go see some games um Cameron Indoor is like a big high school gym the noise mm-hmm. is thunderous it's kind of funny you see students there that are highly inebriated painted blue and white <laughs> next to multimillionaires that blew <laughs> in in their blue and white jets. so sure. I mean it's a it's a funny social paradigm but the Duke basketball is quite the um thing and obviously with uh, Coach K's um resigning uh, this year retiring so it's kind of a been a big deal but uh, to answer your question um, I actually saw those guys in the airport. So this was back pre 9 11 obviously, and mm-hmm. living in a world where you know they'd be hanging out. I mean, I was there when Christian Leitner's mom was uh, chewing on him about getting a haircut. She's like, "I don't want any <laughs> boy of mine looking like a shaggy dog on TV." He's like, "Mom, not in front of the other guys." So I mean, you got to remember that these were obviously superstar athletes, very talented uh, men on that basketball team. Uh, but they were college students, and you know their parents were there, and. And then um, I was on a few airplanes, um, you know, sitting in the back. And the the announcement would be, we're waiting uh, for the passenger in 1A. And that was kind of like code back then, that uh, Krzyzewski was going to be on the plane. And so he was given privileges to be driven to the plane and actually get on at the end. Again, this is a little different, 9-11 and different things. But uh, so you would know you're on a plane with uh, Coach K. So. Uh, Duke was good to me. I, I enjoyed Duke very much. I know there's folks that are big UNC fans and I, I always tease, you know, I couldn't get into UNC, so I had to go to Duke. And so, you know, I I, I enjoy the rivalries and have fun with it. But uh, Duke has had a phenomenal basketball program. I had a lady come up to me at a church once and uh, somebody said, I went to Duke and she came up to me and she said, you're fussing with us. You're saying something that's not true. And I said, what do you mean? He says, Duke is a professional basketball team. It's not a school. (laughs) I was like, ma'am, there's a school there. They got some pretty decent basketball. But the only thing she knew of Duke was basically that it had, uh, you know, she'd seen them on TV wearing the shirt. So she figured it was a pro team.
0: Wow. Okay. So you are the president and general counsel for the National Center for Life and Liberty. Yes, sir. Okay. And just to get this out of the way, everyone can find you at ncll.org. If you are following us on our Facebook or YouTube live video, it is on the screen and there's a QR code right there. You can just scan that with your phone. It'll take you directly to the ncll.org website. Uh, When did you
1: folks start the NCLL? It launched in 2012. So we are coming on a decade of uh, that organization. And then I had worked previously with Christian Law Association. So I've been in this world of uh, representing churches and Christians, religious liberty cases. Really, when I graduated from Duke, I'm a unique person in the sense of I grew up around it. I wanted to go to school to help people. Uh, there's a lot of lawyers that, uh, and, and some of them have bad reputations, and I understand that
2: as well. No. Uh,
1: I'm a lawyer. Some <laughs> of the others out there scare me, but uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, I didn't go in for the business or even the um, opportunity or money. I was like, you know, I like helping people, mm-hmm. and so it was a little bit of a frustrated social worker side to me. And uh, I have been uh, very blessed uh, to have the law degree and be able to go out and, and help folks. Um, And the National Center for Life and Liberty, um, it's kind of a a fun name in the sense that we are all over the country. Um, We defend life and liberty. People go, it's a long name. Well, NCAA, the college sports world, just remember NCAA, the life and liberty world. And um, we work on cases and help ministries. And uh, so we very much enjoy what we do. And uh, obviously the culture we live in, Um, Our ministry uh, continues to grow. Uh, We've actually been right now going through some fairly rapid growth as more and more churches need legal help and services, schools and ministries, and we're we're very honored to do that. And then, you know, kind of a wild moment uh, in our nation's history. We're kind of in this little window, um, uh, the Supreme Court leaking a ruling. I mean, how in the world does that happen? It's known for its secrecy. It's decorum, but, um, you know, we live in the WikiLeaks world, the, the Snowden world. Everybody wants to give out information they know. And uh, somebody leaked out that what appears to be that the Supreme Court is seriously considering and planning uh, to overturn Roe versus Wade. So in the life world, uh, we are going to watch a major change in all those cases and how things are handled on a state by state basis.
0: And and that's on my list of things to get to. So I hope you're okay with me asking you a question or two
1: about it. Maybe you could shen, yeah, shed some light Yeah, jump around. Go anywhere you me. want to go. Hey, it's your show. And, and, you know, my ministry is keeping podcasters like you out of prison. So as long <laughs> as you're not doing this from jail, I feel some success in what I'm doing. So I, I you know, I, I'm trying to, you know, I, you know, when you call yourself, uh, what's your deal, the, the Bible thumper? You Bible know, you're going to upset somebody sometimes. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I'm just glad that uh, you're, you're free and moving about and uh, able to uh, have your jail ministry from the outside in versus being on the
2: inside.
0: Yeah, so far, we have not been taken off of any platform yet. We're waiting for it. Um, you should know, um, uh, I'm also a pastor, and our church supports the NCLL. So uh, hopefully, you'll never have to get a phone call from us asking for your help. Uh, but we, uh, we, we do encourage everyone to support you guys and, and we are going to get to that. Um, you
1: are, you are kind to do that pastor. And, and by the way, when people do get arrested, you know, the first thing they want to do is call their spouse. Mm -hmm. I'm like, if you've only got one phone call, Mm -hmm. your spouse is going to be mad and ask a lot of questions. (laughs) The lawyer might be able to get you out. So you might want to think about calling your lawyer first, but anyway, go ahead. (laughs) So
0: now are you folks able to take on cases in any state in America?
1: Yes, we have. I'm admitted in um, nine different jurisdictions personally. And with our team, uh, we are able to cover just about every state. And then we have what we call our affiliate attorneys that are in different regions. So, to answer your question, yes, we are able to, with appropriate local counsel, practice in all 50 states.
0: Now, can you tell us about some of the types of cases that you take on? Keep in mind, a lot of the folks here uh, might not have heard of you, some of the folks that are going to be tuning in. So, you know, kind of start from scratch. Uh, who are you guys? What exactly do you do? What type of cases do you take on?
1: Well, I think you, you begin with maybe kind of our, our motto, which mm-hmm. is just very simply said, uh, if it's wrong, fight it. If it's right, fight for it. And so we are very much local church oriented. So we work through churches and ministries, uh, but we take cases where we're standing against some of the evil in our day and we're trying to stand up for what's right in our day. And so those really kind of drive our case selection and how we proceed forward. But the, the most part of what we do is helping churches and ministries all over the country. And we have kind of a philosophy with them, is we want them to do maximum ministry. So let's take you, Pastor, your church. Um, I want you to do more, not less. A typical lawyer, typical risk manager, typical um, you know, insurance approach to things is going to be like, oh, don't do that, don't do that, don't say that, don't go there. You're just going to end up, you know, having problems. And so we believe in maximum ministry. Uh, I want you to do more, not less. But we also then believe in minimal liability. Um, There's a smart way and a less smart way to do everything. Um, Should we have aggressive children's ministry and reach children with the gospel? Absolutely. Most people that get saved do so as a child. But on the other hand, should we have a ministry that's safe and have zero tolerance for child abuse? Absolutely. I mean, every responsible person would say if the child's safe anywhere, they should be safe at church. And so helping churches with that balance of maximum ministry, do everything you're called to do, but do it with minimal liability. And then we also are unique in that we are not, you know, the the activists or the rabble rousers or even, you know, we work with politicians, we're in court, but our world is really, we don't believe, Pastor, that the answer for America is in a courtroom. Matter Mm of fact, my goal is to keep you out of court. Um, And we don't believe it's in the state house. I mean, whether you want to go to the Capitol in your state or or go to D.C., it is not going to be in the government, and it's not in the White House. Uh, people should vote and be involved. Um, I'm a big believer it is in the church house, and Amen. that's the local community and people making a difference and doing life together. And so um, we're very honored as an organization to you know proudly stand with the local churches of America and say, we believe in your right to, uh, under the First Amendment, uh, to worship and to speak and to be able to make a difference in your community. And so with that, uh, we are, um, a lot of our cases and issues come in through local churches. Now, it might be, you know, I'm a pastor and this is going on in my uh, public school and we may be involved in that, or I'm a pastor and this is going on with one of the guys in my church. And, and so we really do uh, look at the pastors. We call them our partner churches like yourself, but we we do view them as partners because we work together on these cases, and we we ask them to be you know, there for the, the prayer support, the emotional support, and stand with the people in their community and, and to be that salt light. Because long after the NCLL is gone, if we come in and have a major victory of any sort, um, you're going to have to minister in that community. And so um, the heroes in all of that are the pastors and the ministry leaders that want to take the stand, and we're just honored to help them. And, and we try to do it smartly. You know, there there are people that, you know, they're just not a fight they, they don't want to jump into. But we always try to help pastors and ministry leaders think about, you know, what is our goal? What is our hope? What are we trying to accomplish? Because, you know, long after the battle's over, you're going to be in that community. And I always say, you know, every vehicle that you keep looking in the rearview of your mirror, you're going to crash. I mean, you got to be looking forward and thinking, OK, where, you know, where are we going to be five years from now? What does this really do? What testimony are we leaving behind? Um, as you with a podcast know, you know, you have things online and reputation and image that could sit there literally forever. I mean, it, they don't ever go away. People can Google and find things. And and so making sure not just that maybe you're legally right or even constitutionally right or you want to do something, but making sure that you maintain your testimony. Um, a philosophy that kind of drives a lot of our litigation is real simple. I say you take the right stand. You got to do it the right way. You know, we, we, we're pro-life. We don't blow up buildings, right? So sure. the right stand, yeah. line up with the word of God and the facts the right way. We're going to do it the honorable way. But then number three, and this challenges some of our conservative church brethren is with a right spirit, Mm -hmm. because I believe your spirit is your testimony. And please understand, I, I admire people that want to you know, speak right, and they want to go about it the right way. But then all of a sudden, they want to turn into like you know, I, I call them almost like shock preachers. You know, yeah. they say crazy things, or they want to be rabid, or, or they, they, there's no way you can get to the right of them because they're just going to jump over <laughs> and say something crazier. And and please understand, I, I respect your right to be crazy, mm-hmm. but I've decided life's too short to go to court on behalf of crazy. Yeah. So we try to encourage uh, people to say, you know, let's make sure. That our spirit is such that if Jesus walked into the courtroom with you, he would say, Well done, my son, well done, my daughter, that your testimony is right. And so, and that's a tough balance. We all have to live with that. I mean, I know on your podcast or in your life and ministry, um, you're helping families and people and in the community, but that let's make sure we're right. Let's do it the right way, but then let's really make sure that our spirit is something that the Lord can indeed bless.
0: You know, and that is a hard one. And I'll tell you what, I mean, you're talking to a guy that was raised Irish Catholic back in New Jersey. And let me tell you, you know, you want to go to war. I mean, you you want
1: to take it to the streets. You're ready to go. Yeah.
0: I yeah. mean, we, we take high blood pressure medicine, you know, with our morning coffee, uh, you know, and that's just kind of the way we were designed. But the fact is, y- you are not going to be helping the overall cause for the Lord if we are insulting and hurting people all along the way in our righteous fight. And uh, and oh, honestly,
1: think about this, too. You mm-hmm. go to court and you're, you're in front of a judge or a mm-hmm. jury or even, let's say, the other side, whoever that may be. I believe you have a duty how you treat them. No, I'm not going to like let them walk all over us or take advantage of a client. I mean, we will aggressively fight for everything that is we're entitled to. But how you conduct yourself, how you speak to those in leadership, the decision makers, I believe you do leave a testimony behind. And, and by the way, they, you have this in churches. You know, some some people say, "Well, why is that church growing, or why is that church friendly, or why is that church not friendly, not growing?" Well, sometimes it's the spirit. I Mm -hmm. mean, you can just walk in and you can sense, you know, these are unhappy people, you know, and then people go, well, why do I want to be part of that? You know, and and they may be right and they may hold services, but their spirit is such that it creates a distasteful testimony. And so I always encourage folks, you know, you may win the battle, but if your spirit's wrong through the whole thing, you've lost the war.
0: Yeah. You can be doctrinally right and still be a jerk. And it's not going to help your message because it's not attractive. No one wants
1: well, to listen to you, no matter how right you are. Let me use this, Patrick. I go to court mm-hmm. and you're my client. Okay. okay. And we go walking in. And if I walk up to the judge and I go, judge, you're an idiot. <laughs> if you don't agree with us. Now, first of all, if you're my client, you're going to be like, uh, attorney oh, brother. Gets, yeah. did, did you just, I, I, that's the guy that like's gonna cost me some money or might put me in jail mm-hmm. and if I heard you correctly, you just called him an idiot <laughs> and this I like could put him in a good mood and I don't feel like you've really advocated but you know preacher, sometimes that's just how our guys preach you uh, don't and they yep. just kind of go with this rabbit now if I went into court and said, you know your honor, the lawyer on the other side and by the way, you got to get comfortable sometimes grabbing the other side's arguments mm-hmm. the lawyer on the other side, he's going to tell you number one. He's going to tell you number two, perfect he's going to tell you number three. And by the way, judge, when I looked at what he's going to tell you, number four, I almost thought, you know what? He's right. And you should rule for them. But let me tell you what convinced me. Number five, that you should rule for us.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, you know what the lawyer on the other side is going to do He's going to jump up and go, Mr. Gibbs is right about number one. Mr. Gibbs is right about number two, right about number three. He's really right about number four. You know what the judge has heard? Mr. Gibbs is right. Yep. Now, can we still lose the case? Sure. But I think sometimes we need to, as pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, teachers, be careful that it's not a dogmatic my way or the highway. I don't want you to change your beliefs. I want you to stay true. But when you're trying to convince people of things, be willing to say, you know what, you you've got a point there. I, I see what you're saying, and and you know what, I, I I see that too. And and but let me tell you why I think, or why the word says, or why this is in the Bible. And when you do it in that manner, where you're comfortable in your own skin to concede, you know, the other side has some arguments. I mean, so you're able to at least um, let them have the sense that you're making your position known in a way that allows them to think it through. And sadly, and then, you know, there's a lot of great preachers in America and I'm honored to represent, work with them, but a lot of guys have gotten lazy in their preaching and they're basically preaching to the crew that shows up and they know the hot buttons and they just yell about that. And everybody goes, yeah, that's right. And they all leave and they wonder why they're not growing they're not doing anything to draw people in by actually helping them think through the issues.
0: That's good. uh, Almost like political commentators. We know how to get a crowd riled up. That's easy. Yeah. Yeah, It doesn't take much. Well, And
1: and by the way, certain TV shows, certain commentators, certain podcasts, you know what they're going to say before you even turn them on. And, and they may have a big audience. There's certain things that you could just say, let's just pound on this. There's an audience for some of that but at the end of the day, are you really helping the people or it's the old proverbial, you're just preaching to the choir. Yep. And I don't mind every once in a while, you want to preach to the choir. That's that, that can be fun. It can feel like a pep rally, mm-hmm. but week in and week out, your people aren't growing. Matter of fact, I'll even go a step further. Sometimes they blow up on you and you're like, I wonder why they, I thought they were with me. Well, you come to find out you spiritually starved them to death. You yeah. know, um, there, there is such a thing as the whole council of the word of God. And, it's always fun to eat the frost and the ice cream because people like it, but at some point they starve to death if you don't give them the meat, the potatoes, and actually let them be healthy Christians um, that are ministering or doing life with you in your church.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you're talking about teaching people the Bible, and uh, yeah, unfortunately that doesn't go on at every church. It is easy, like you said, to just have that pep rally,
1: and it can be well, and, enticing and it, to and do it too it, often. And here's your issue before you can teach the bible maybe you like got to study it and oh man that's going to take some time you know maybe maybe you got to pray about it i mean you know you, you start saying like am i really going to put effort into this or can i cookie cutter it into something quick and fast and and again i everybody could do more i'm not and and i don't preach week in and week out brand new sermons to the same people i know it's a very difficult task and i respect and honor the people that do it but you know if you say why am i not growing why are things not working why is my church struggling sometimes you got to ask yourself what are you putting your time into and are you really investing in the message and letting people grow with you and 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 you can see some exciting things
0: okay can you tell us about some of the types of cases that you take on or have recently taken on
1: well, we, first of all, we defend churches. So, yeah. I mean, when you look at it, can be a whole litany of things. I mean, it could be, I mean, I just was talking with people today that, you know, they're taking away their tax exemption. So that's not necessarily a sensational thing, but, you know, churches don't pay taxes on their property. But if they don't think you're using some of it, you think you are using some of it. Now you got a controversy. Yeah. So, you know, dealing with those issues. Um, you might be able to frame, the, you know, maybe the the church cases into, let's say, three categories. Okay. One would be lawsuits from the outside. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is the transgender that just told the pastor, you know, I want you to change my baptismal certificate, or I'm going to sure. sue you. You yeah. know, it's it's activism. It's outside. Hey, we're the same-sex couple. We want to get married in yep. your church. Okay. These are outsiders coming in and challenging maybe what you would call your identity or your faith. Then you have number two, which is government interaction. So let's say this could be the IRS. This could be the property tax assessor. This could be the building inspector. This could be any litany of government. I'm talking to a guy in Oklahoma today. You know, they want to run a turnpike exit right through the middle of his brand new auditorium. Okay, now, there's a lot of issues there i'm sorry is that an eminent domain type of case well it could be okay i mean they haven't got that far yet Mm -hmm. okay so they kind of just sent the preacher like here's the plans can you move your whole thing over and do this (laughs) and the other and it's like eminent domain but i mean you know you you got 10 acres obviously located next to a a highway
2: yeah you know
1: you don't want to lose all your property and Mm -hmm. and then you're stuck in a corner and you know and and by the way some churches would be thrilled I mean, some churches would be like, hey, cash out, relocate, do some different things. So every church has their own perspective. And that's one thing, just so you know, I'm a servant to the local church. I don't come in and tell them, hey, you have to do this. They come to me and say, here's my problem. And then together we work on it. And sometimes I'll say, you know, what can I do to help you? What would you like to see happen? In this case, they'd like to save their property. But that's a government interaction. So lawsuits from the outside, government issues, the entanglement issues, and then number three, and this one's kind of sort of exploding at record levels in modern rage America, um, we'll call it internal church or internal ministry issues. You know, somebody, you know, in leadership sinned and do we get rid of them? What do we do? Somebody in the church is mad. So, And all this, you know, it used to be people would like leave a church. Okay, sure. Now everybody's a protester, everybody's online, <laughs> everybody's defaming one another. You know, I mean, it used to be, you know, you'd get a bad letter. Now you're getting, you know, Yelp reviews. And I'm being a little facetious, but you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, by that. People I go it. online and start this, you know, this church is a bunch of crooks or this pastor is a bad guy. And, and you're like, what? I mean, I let that out to Christ. And, you know, and, you know, and we live in this world where, you know, reputations online um, can be almost fictional. They don't have anything to do with what's really in reality. But these angry, upset people, and it's the same stuff the world fights over. It's sad. But um, people in court fight for power, you know, who's going to control, and money. Who gets assets or who gets claim to things. And, you know, sadly in the church world, it's, I want my building. I want this position. And and, and by the way, sometimes the church is right or wrong. Sometimes staffs right or wrong. Um, there's a lot of dynamics at play. And so with all of that, it's, um, I think... Kind of tragic. And and one of the things we at the NCLL try to do is help churches avoid these controversies. So, like, well written bylaws or good policies, or for example, good vetting before you hire a pastor. I mean, mm-hmm. a, a widow called me, nice lady, her husband had founded the church. And, you know, this guy came in and he's, you know, basically stealing all the money and running the church in the ground, going to sell the property. And come to find out this guy had embezzled from I think two or three churches before he came to this church, Uh, but you know, they don't ever do that next level, you know, we're we're too polite to do Mm -hmm. a reference check or a credit check. You know, you're putting someone in charge of a operation with a couple hundred thousand dollars, year budget. Why don't you make sure that, you know, they're able to handle their own finances. And so, you know, kind of helping churches avoid those problems is a big part of what we do. But when you talk about the litigation in the church world, those are kind of the three buckets. Lawsuits from the outside, then you got um, situations with the government where you have to deal with government officials, regulators, um, and then you're dealing with the third item, which is internal church or internal ministry issues. And those really categorize a lot of what we do on behalf of the ministries. Now, we also then have what I might call our individual cases, and those run the gamut, but maybe use the ones that are um, catch maybe the most attention would be uh, dealing with life issues. Um, We'll have situations pop up where somebody um, is not getting care, their life's at risk, and certain relatives want to fight for them. Um, I was the attorney for Terry Shivo's family, and kind of hard to believe. She passed away in 2005, so I've actually been doing some uh, documentaries and podcasts and other things as people are beginning to look back at what happened in the Terry Schiavo case and digging deeper and thinking about it. But, um, so those type of cases where it's a disabled person or maybe somebody affiliated with a Johnny Erickson Tata type ministry or somebody in a hospital, uh, COVID was an interesting dynamic. There were, um, you know, people that wanted, you know, their, their relative was deemed as, you know, basically hopeless going to die, uh, they wanted to, you know, try some experimental, you know, saying Ivermectin or something, and then the hospital wouldn't do it. The person's dying anyway. So those are really complicated, really fast, really wild. Um, you know, Texas has a 10-day law that uh, we do work there with Texas Right to Life where, um, you know, 10 days a hospital can say you find a place for your relative or we have the right to kill them. So th- those are real-world cases and, and tough because sometimes people are desperately sick and it's God's will for them to go home. Sometimes it's um, activist people that have bought into what I call the quality of life lie, which just simply stated is if you don't have sufficient quality of life, your life isn't worth living. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is a lie. Uh, God is the giver of life and God's giver of blessings and even um, handicap, disability, health issues um, are really things that are entrusted to people and the Lord has a purpose in all of that. So, um, on life side, the the litigation can be uh, complicated and fascinating, but, uh, I'm a big believer in Matthew 25 verse 40. It's kind of my life verse or one of the driving things that, um, you know, I think about and, um, the, the verse is what you've done under the least of these. And that's the phrase most people know you've done unto me, referring to the Heavenly Father, and it's a a judgment day passage, and I I often think about that, whether it's an unborn baby, a disabled person, um, an elderly person, somebody else's child, um, people who can't do anything back for you, what you've done for them. God says, I
0: Hold on, everybody. We just lost uh, David Gibbs. We're gonna try to get him back right here. Bear with me. We're gonna call him, and hopefully, we're not out for too long. Let's see.
1: Hey, my friend. I don't know what happened. That was my <laughs> was fault.
0: Just... That was a technical oh, okay. Problem well, good. I feel end. better. So, yep. So, well, I was gonna, gonna tell you. Fine. I pay
1: for my cell phone, and it works only sometimes. <laughs> but hey, I think I've got. I, l- let me do this because yeah. i think i've got your thing on the other line let me see what's going on All okay right. go ahead do you care if i hang up and then you just call me back one more time that'll clear everything yeah let's do not- nope okay
2: hang up i'll call, call right
1: you right back.
0: back okay bye-bye this is the type of top shelf professional audio video abilities we have here at the bible thumper
1: All right, sir, I'm back. And I just, I had called you and I was showing up on hold. I don't know if it's going to beep or drop me at some point. So this is perfect. And uh, I was kind of into my uh, Matthew 25, 40 least of these. Did you get most of that?
0: We did. We got the verse and you were just explaining it. And I was actually looking up a quote uh, from your book that I wanted to read that started out one of the chapters that explained exactly what you
1: were saying, which is. All right, well, why don't I do this for a cut in? Let me hit Matthew twenty I'll say a comment or two, and then you can hit the quote. Do so it. are we, are we on? Oh, we're point? on. We never cut okay. off. Everyone gets oh, to fine. hear.
0: Yeah. The whole thing. Okay.
1: <laughs> so, so they get to hear the phone drop and everything. Oh, and so
0: and this- the phone ring again when I called you. Yeah. That's the type of top shelf audio video abilities we have here. At the so, Bible
1: so this is edited in a very professional manner. <laughs> I i you know, I, I've done Larry King Live, uh-huh. I've done Sean Hannity, yeah. and I have done this podcast. That's Bless right, God. Yeah. But anyway. I
0: expect this to show up in your next book. Okay, I, absolutely. Can, it, it's it's going to be.
1: I want it in my bio <laughs> for every introduction. I want them to mention this fine podcast Wonderful. that I've been part of with my good friend. But um, with regard to the least of these, you know, we get so busy in life that at times we don't even see them. And those are the people that are most important to God, because he says, what you do unto them, I will on judgment day actually reward you as if you had done it to me. And it's interesting, uh, some of the lead up to that verse, and again, I won't preach her, but go for it. You know, I was hungry. You fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was naked. You clothed me. I was in prison. You visited me. It's all like these, like what you would call small little kindnesses. Mm-hmm. And I'm paraphrasing here, but the righteous kind of respond like, Hey God, you were invisible. When do we do all this stuff for you? And that's when in verse 40, uh, it says the King will pull the lesson for them. When you've done it under the least of these, you've done it unto me, my brethren. And it's just a very, it, it's humbling to think about, you know, somebody says, well, this person may not have money. This person may not have help. This person may not really be that important. They're not celebrities. They're not front page news. But God says, you know, in my book, they are top shelf news. And I will always take careful note of what you have done under those that can't do anything back to you. So that drives me with what I do. And I think about it that, you know, regardless of what this world thinks is important, God thinks these people are very important.
0: Yeah, in, uh, in chapter four of your book, Fighting for Dear Life, uh, the untold story of Terry Shivo, you begin with a quote from Dr. Laura Schlesinger, which says, the measure of a civilization is how we treat the weak, the dependent, the helpless and the ill. And it's, it's really fitting, you know, for that, for your book and also for uh, that verse in Matthew that you just brought to us. And, you know, it reminds me of what Benjamin Franklin said when the Continental Congress was at an impasse and he suggested that they start every session with prayer. He quotes a portion of a verse from Matthew and he mentions how that if our father, uh, if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, it is improbable that an empire will uh, be founded without his concurring aid. You know, and if if the Lord notices every sparrow that falls to the ground, uh, you know, think of how much more uh, he holds uh, dear his children, you know, his creation and their life. Well, l- let me ask you a couple more questions before we get off in, in a different direction here. So, uh, how, and this is important for our audience. How do you fund such an undertaking? Because I'm assuming lawyers still aren't cheap.
1: Well, a couple of ways. The first of all, we have a committed team. So, I, I want to give kudos to my team, they're, mm-hmm. they're heroes. They all could leave and go earn more money other places. God calls them and and like pastors and other ministry leaders, but they 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 decide that the nonprofit ministry work serving others is important to them. So I'm always grateful when God brings somebody because, you know, if if you're paying somebody the most they can make anywhere else, obviously, you know, they, their income isn't suffering at all. And they're kind of a hireling and, and they may do a great job but I really uh, do appreciate my team and they do a great job. And then we have a lot of volunteer attorneys that work with us across the country. Uh, But we are funded by uh, donations. Churches partner with us and uh, we say to them, uh, like we do for you, we'll become your attorney. We become your general counsel. We will work with you unlimitedly on any issues. And so uh, we do get expertise in a lot of different areas. And so we're able to multiply that work uh, through a number of churches and stand with them. Uh, obviously, you know, we have situations that go crazy, like COVID every church in America had the same problem at the same time. So, you know, it can get a little wild, but, um, <laughs> generally things go in waves or cycles or different things. And we're able to, um, you know, serve them well. we, we believe in answering our phone. Uh, we answer like with human beings, mm-hmm. you know, we don't believe you should go through a, a computer morass nightmare and, you know, touch one here and we'll call you back. Maybe never. You know, probably in my mind, one of the biggest complaints about lawyers in general is they don't get back to you. So I believe in that hustle, making sure that we serve everybody the way we would want to be served. And so um, we live or die by donations and then churches that partner with us. And uh, it's a miracle. God does it. I just, um, you know, marvel. Um, you know, there's been times where I'm like, oh, wow, we're going to have a tough run here. And then somebody says, you know, Lord laid on my heart. And You know, I mean, we're not George Mueller, but I I live by faith <laughs> the same way and seeing like, wow, thank you, Lord. You know, that was really helpful. And, and all of a sudden that computer that died that we were needing to replace, it's now replaced and mm-hmm. we're able to keep functioning and going. And so. Um, and again, I, I say this, you know, what we lack in intelligence, uh, we make up with stamina. You know, our people work hard, we we go, somebody says, why would you be on a, a phone call, returning a call at 10 at night? Well, that person was in crisis, they called him with an emergency, they need somebody to call him at 10 at night. And somebody says, yeah, but, you know, you can't get a lawyer at 10 at night. Well, yeah, but we're not lawyers. We're we're serving them. We we want to be that partner and uh, in ministry with them. And so it's like a pastor. You get the, you know you get those phone calls in the middle of the night where you have to sometimes get up and go somewhere, or maybe you have to talk on the phone. And and sometimes it's not even all that important. Mm-hmm. But you know what? To that person, it was everything. That's why they called. Yeah. And so uh, that's kind of our heartbeat. You know, we, we very much view it with that ministry lens and perspective. And then, uh, people do support and it's a faith work, but we love what we get to do.
0: Okay. And for those of you at home, you can go again to NCLL.com. Org slash partner. And if you want to uh, get on board and be a partner and help support uh, the National uh, Center for Life and Liberty, you can do that. And uh, believe me, it'll be money well spent. You got to remember that your church uh, might not be under attack today. It might be someone else's, but uh, they're going to be coming for yours as well. So it's important that we support folks like this. Okay, you're going to change gears here just a little bit. Can you help me out with some parking tickets?
1: Did I lose you? No, I'm here. I hear you. I didn't hear you. You maybe went under for a second. So you want to change gears. Where are we gearing over to?
0: Can you help me out with some parking tickets?
1: Can I help you out? I'm not hearing the word. Can you help me out with? Parking tickets. Oh, parking
2: tickets.
1: (laughs) Uh, Let me explain. First of all, be more careful where you park. All right, A. And uh, B, uh, you know, probably your best bet is to, like, pay the things. But, you know you know I, I we do get some funny calls but, like, you know sometimes people got issues they get into and you know and um you know the the ones that are just crazy you know sometimes you're like why did you spend so much money before you realized you had a problem mm-hmm. oh, i kept thinking you know and i always say to folks you know con artists are good at stringing you along so you know when you start to get that little pause in your spirit that might be the moment to get a second opinion or get some professionals involved to try to help you out. But um, no, if you've got parking tickets and, and you're part of the world, you should have plenty of places to park. So you know, <laughs> buy a jeep and park in the grass. I mean, dude, we'll figure it out. So
0: uh, let me ask you this: what what battles are we up against right now? What are your most pressing concerns for religious liberty in America today?
1: Well, it's kind of wild what we're watching, but I, I'll i tell you what the um, you know, maybe the, the scariest element to think about is, you know, we live in a world where we know a few things. Most people who get saved do so before the age of 21. Mm-hmm. I mean, I won't quote you statistics, but I think everybody would agree it's 90 plus percent. Yep, Overwhelming majority get reached as children or, you know, young adults. And we also know that there's a tremendous assault on getting the gospel to children. Um, and and we all believe children need to be safe, treated appropriately. We certainly abhor, you know, physical, emotional, sexual any abuse towards a child is heinous, criminal, and should never happen. But could we live in a world where telling a child that there's only one way to heaven is abuse, is emotional abuse, or mm. is psychological abuse, or is inappropriate, or telling a kid that things are right or wrong, that that behavior is a sin? Could that be deemed as inappropriate or abusive, and you could literally be sued for it, or you you could lose custody if you're a mom or dad. And, and again, we're not there yet. I don't want your listeners to think, oh, it's that already happening, but we're dangerously close Mm -hmm. to where being able to just share the gospel with a child uh, could come under attack. Now, adults are like, well, adults can walk away, adults can you know do what they want, but when you start talking about children, that is where the devil knows the kids are going to hear about Jesus. Yep. So whether it's a vacation Bible school, whether it's an outreach, whether it's uh, things into the public school. And, and by the way, we do know that the public schools have become, you know, heavily indoctrinated uh, with non-Christian philosophies and viewpoints in so many areas. And so we are battling probably for the hearts and minds of children. If, if you were to really look at what could be, you know, the, biggest change in life ministry what we're dealing with and then I'll, I'll go another step further and this is maybe a little more practical maybe it's on more the business side of ministry um we're running out of pastors really um we need some folks that are called of god that want to go into churches and i mean the number of churches that are looking for pastors can't find pastors can't find good pastors and when i say good i'm not looking for perfect everybody knows mm-hmm. you know that there's certain limits to time effort energy talent you know but just somebody that says you know god called me and i want to serve and i'm willing to put my life here and i'm going to do life with you and be part of this and we're living in a world where you know you know if somebody says well here's a great opportunity here's a great salary here's a great vacation package you know <laughs> big churches can have a bunch of people want it but folks that say, you know what, I'm going to go successfully pastor a church that doesn't have more than a hundred people. Mm-hmm. Um, which by the way, most churches in America are under 100.
2: Yeah, So ours we're is.
1: looking at a lot of churches in America that can't find a pastor. Mm-hmm. And that is going to, as some of these dear men of God that are older age out or have health issues or go home to glory, we're going to have a situation where, you know, a lot of empty buildings, and you know, and then once you sell the building, and I, I don't oppose if it's appropriate. I mean, some people need to sell a building. But my point is, once you lose the asset and it goes to missions or some other nonprofit work, it's gone. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, that lighthouse doesn't exist. And and certain areas of the country, certainly where the real estate has boomed, and you know, across Colorado and other places, it's gotten real expensive. Um, you wonder if we're ever going to get it back. And so I do think, um, you know, maybe within the churches, a little more commitment to, um, you know, encouraging, recruiting, honoring pastors. I mean, it's a hard job. Yeah. And I I don't say that with, you know, that we need to worship a man, but to respect the choice they've made and to treat them with honor and to, you know, be there with your attendance and to tithe as the Lord blesses you and and to, um, you know, really, keep the church on a local level strong and again we're honored on the legal side on the practical side you know sometimes even the media side to help ministries but i do worry about the overall health of the um typical bible preaching church in our country
0: okay do you want to now i i do want to get to a couple of your books and talk about those so on this next one let's we'll try to we'll try to keep it brief but could you walk us through the Roe v Wade situation that's going on right now i know it comes up on feeds on you know my facebook feed or you know on google on news but i haven't really gotten into it and read many of the articles what are we looking at right now what's going on
1: well the supreme court historically has been very secretive and and by the way for a lot of reasons it allows them to deliberate think argue And then when they speak, they speak with a written ruling. And we talk about like Roe v. Wade was a written ruling back in 1973. But never in the history of the Supreme Court have we had a leak of this magnitude. Okay. I mean, this wasn't a buddy calling a media person saying, hey, I think they're going to overturn Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. This is They took the actual opinion in draft form and released it. An internal document got out in the news. And an unapproved internal document. And so we're all sitting here going, is this going to be the ruling? Is this going to be, was this one of the options? I mean, so it's, it's an interesting situation. Now, I don't know that, you know, you would use words as strong as treason, Mm -hmm. but I would say it's criminal. What happened? I mean, this person breached protocol, breached contracts. I mean, those Supreme court clerks and others, and it's a small number Mm -hmm. that would have access to this. So like, for example, and I make no accusation here. So, I mean, I appear before the Supreme court, so I'm not in any way <laughs> accusing them, Yeah. but I mean, if a justice did this,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think that would be grounds for impeachment. Okay. If a justice said I leaked this to try to pressure my colleagues, that would be a total breach of trust. Now I personally don't think a justice would do that. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing it's a clerk, which again, very educated, very brilliant. I mean, you know, it's the cream of the cream in the legal world, um, serve as clerks under the Supreme Court justices, help draft the opinions. And I think one of them probably decided to be a mole and stick it out there and try to create pressure. And that is so inappropriate, so unprofessional. I hope that person gets caught. Yeah. I hope their career is over. I hope, you know, whatever criminal consequence um, you know, could be appropriately brought i think they should suffer for it because this has been a huge issue and letting the supreme court handle it correctly and then for attorneys like myself that have cases that go to the supreme court periodically you want to have confidence in this institution Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean you have to agree with everything they do but you at least like to think they kind of know what they're doing in terms of procedure and process and how they handle it and You know, I've had a case up there now that's been, you know, they're they're deliberating it, deliberating it, going over it, going over it. And, you know, and you want to have confidence that this institution is going to handle it right. And if they deny you, you know, they read it and thought about it. If they accept you, you know, they agreed that this is worth looking at. Well, this type of leak causes everyone to have some concern. You know, is this really the institution we thought it was? And so in that vein, I I saw what the chief justice, uh, uh, Justice Roberts said, is that this is a huge breach. We're going to get to the bottom of it. And I hope he does, Mm -hmm. because I think it needs to be done. Um, If this is the actual ruling, it's huge. Um, Roe v. Wade would no longer be the law of the land. Um, Today, President Biden has spoken and said, well, that'll hurt uh, LGBTQ rights in the country. He's correct on that. It would undermine all of that as well and really make much more of marriage, morality, um, abortion, all of that would be more on a state-by-state basis where people would be able to influence their elected leaders. And so I do think um, if the court ruling, as it's been leaked, is close to what they're actually going to do, um, this is a change in a court ruling that i don't know that i i mean i I don't want to lack faith here Mm -hmm. but i'm not sure i expected to see it in my lifetime and so i'm thrilled now with um you know my little granddaughter having been born just a few days ago that maybe she'll grow up in a world without roe versus wade and doesn't mean there won't be abortion doesn't mean there won't be challenges doesn't mean we won't have a lot of issues but at least it will be on a state-by-state basis versus a federal mandate
0: so overturning Roe v. Wade, f- to make it clear for everyone, that doesn't mean that abortion is going to be illegal, you know, or there's going to be a federal law making it illegal. What it's going to do is it's going to pass the decision back to the state level. And you're going to see some states that are going to have much harder and stricter laws that are going to protect life. And you're going to see other states that are kind of going to be, uh, you know, a safe haven for everyone yeah. that
1: needs an abortion. Well, you let's, can Let's make it simple. California's already sure. passed all that. Oh, brother. Yeah. In their state. Yeah. Um, Mississippi says after 15 weeks, it's a crime. Yep. So that's the case that was up before the Supreme Court. So now you may see some states that would go, well, it's not going to be 15 weeks. It may be, you know, five weeks Mm or maybe not at all, you know, and so there's different things. And it can even be, you know, not just the banning of the procedure, but requiring standards. So you might say, if you're going to perform abortions in our state, you have to have hospital privileges. You need to have full surgical suite and, you know, make it safe for women. And again, we're not saying the procedure should happen, but my point is you can make it so cost prohibitive that they leave your state, you know? So there's different approaches that they can look at from a legislative standpoint, but they would at least have the option of doing it without hearing, Oh, it's violation of Roe v. Wade. You can't do it. That's been the history since 1973.
0: Is there any chance that the leak was inadvertent
1: i i'm gonna say sure but unlikely okay and I, i'll tell you why okay it got leaked to politico okay it didn't get <laughs> like leaked to uh um uh, all right you know David Gibbs got an email by mistake. Yeah. And by the way, I haven't gotten a Supreme Court email by mistake. Okay. <laughs> but my I it wasn't like, oh, some lawyer got it. And he's like, oh, wow, this is interesting. And he put it out. You, you follow what I'm saying? Absolutely. And even then, if I'd have received it in error as a member of the Supreme Court, bar, you would have been obligated. I- well, I'd have been obligated to delete it and notify them. Yeah. And say, this was sent to me in error. Yep. I've deleted it. I did not read it. And mm-hmm. I just want to let you know that your system or somebody in error sentence. There, sent there it was a failing it. somewhere. And that would be the and by the way, that happens in cases. I've mm-hmm. had cases where my client, um, pastor sends all his confidential information as a lawyer on the other side by mistake. Sure and again, you know, did the guy read it? Probably. Yeah. But what's he supposed to do ethically? He's supposed to delete it, ignore it and notify me. Yeah. So there are procedures for what we call accidents, but I would say pastor in this case, the fact that it ended up at Politico in full draft form. And what I do want folks to understand, it's a very small group of people that would have access to it. So that's, what's kind of interesting. I mean, if, if the chief justice really does go search cell phones, emails, and find out how that happened, Um I do think there needs to be consequences. At, at, at minimum, this individual needs to lose their job and be marked as a dishonest employee so they can't go out and just make lots of money in big law firms. And they need to suffer the consequences of their sin, in my opinion, because They've undermined one of the, you know, core institutions in our constitutional government. I mean, we have our our president, our executive branch, we have our Congress, our legislative branch, and we have our judiciary. And by the way, certain people yell and holler like about um, you know, the uh, attack on January sixth, which by the way, our Congress was under attack. And you know, they want to say that's horrible, rightfully so. But now we have something at the Supreme Court that's like an internal attack. And I think those same people need to say that's horrible. So I I do think there needs to be a serious investigation and looked into because uh, if people lose confidence in their government, we could turn into a very dangerous society.
0: Yeah. Okay. Now, um, attorney Gibbs, you are the author of, is it five books now? Uh, yes, sir. Okay. So I just read for the second time, Uh, the book, uh, fighting for dear life, the untold story of Terry Schiavo and what it means for all of us. Could you, or would you mind um, telling everybody who was living in a cave between 1998 and 2005, uh, what was, what was the Terry Schiavo case about?
1: Yeah. Terry was a disabled woman um, who was alive. She wasn't sick and she just needed food and water to stay alive, and her husband changed his mind at some point and moved into the courts to try to have her food and water taken away so she would die of dehydration and starvation, and it caught some regional attention and some state attention, then it went national, and it would ultimately become the number one news story in the world because it was right when the internet was becoming more popular and there was less TV and it was a very dramatic um, time, and it's the only issue in my lifetime uh, that Jesse Jackson and Rush Limbaugh have agreed upon. No kidding. You look at it, both of those men, one a known liberal Democrat, the other a very conservative Republican, now passed away. They both said this should not happen. And so it was an issue that went before our um, Congress. Um, names like Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton supported Terry Schiavo as did many conservatives. So it was a a very unique case because it had the rights of life and disability. And and tragically, uh, after 13 days without food and water, um, we actually set a record, only case in history to go to the Supreme Court and back twice in 10 days. So um, it has just now, we're approaching Um, you know, towards 20 years. And so different folks are looking back at it and and trying to understand what did this case mean and how did it impact our, our culture and our society? And sadly, I would say this, Pastor, many people have bought into what I call the quality of life lie. And somebody says, well, what is that? If you don't have sufficient quality of life, your life isn't worth living. And I believe in what I call sanctity of life. God gives the life. If he gives you blessings, we thank him for them. And like you and I can talk. That's a blessing. We can think. That's a blessing. We can walk. That's a blessing. But God can also allow disabilities, accidents, injuries, tribulations, things in your life you don't want to go through. But whether you're blessed or whether your quality of life goes down your sanctity, your specialness in the eyes of God remains unchanged. And so I very much believe that as um, Americans, we've gotten way too comfortable playing God with other people's lives. And, And by the way, we watch this in COVID. We watch this in health issues. We watch this in healthcare. I mean, there's just a litany of areas where more and more people are getting comfortable saying, I will make the decisions for your life. And I believe that those decisions, you know, God obviously gives a life. God can allow good things or disabilities, and difficulties in your life. But I believe that God and God alone should end your life.
0: I just put a uh, picture of the book up on the screen so if you are um, following us on our live video be sure to go and buy that book it is one of the bo- it is one of the best books you will ever read it is one of the scariest stories you will ever uh, be confronted with. And, uh, if any of you are just listening to us on a podcast, uh, the name of the book again is fighting for dear life, the untold story of Terry Shivo and what it means for all of us. And obviously you can buy that anywhere in the world that you get books. So just get on Amazon and and buy that as soon as you can. It it really is a wonderful story. So, um, attorney Gibbs, I really appreciate you being on here with us. We're getting down to the top of the hour. Um, so, and I,
1: I need to get moving to a meeting tonight, but yeah. I, first of all, hold you in esteem. Thank you for taking the time and the effort to do this. I know it's a work for you and, um, pastor believe in you, your heart, your spirit. And, um, and again, if anybody can be helped, you know, we, we believe in the local church and standing up for people's rights. And so, uh, just let us have that privilege and we'd be glad to help them in any way we can.
0: Yeah. So you folks are going to at home are going to want to find, um, attorney Gibbs and his law firm at ncll.org. Please get on there, uh, be a help to him. And uh, we, we'd love to have you back sometime, uh, talk a little It'd bit more. Fun. Okay. So that yeah, was...
1: Keep me on your list and, and we will do this thing. And so if I get a call from you, I'm going to be thinking podcast, not prison. That'll be the plan. That's so the goal.
0: We'll stay there. Okay. You have a great night. Thank you everybody for joining us at the Bible Thumper podcast, where somebody's got to say it. You have a good week.